Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. I have told this story before, but it looks like it might need some updating. This all started with a sermon my pastor, Dr. Smith, preached on one Sunday morning on joy. As they often do, his sermons have a resounding impact and have an interesting way of manifesting its lesson in my day-to-day life. Some time ago on my way home, I was stopped at a traffic light just before entering my neighborhood, and I was thinking to myself just how much better my commute was than it was the day before. Earlier that week, I took my usual shortcut behind the mayor's office, and this was some time before our D.C. mayor, Vincent Gray, was in office. My wife and I saw then-mayor Adrian Fenty in his new smart car, 
and he waved at my wife and I, but I couldn't get my camera out fast enough, and I missed a great photo opportunity. So the very next day, being better prepared, I tried again. But the weather was bad, and, of course, so was the traffic. And I got stuck behind the mayor's office for over 20 minutes. When I got home, I was so beat. I went straight to my office and got myself a 40-minute acupressure infrared heat massage, and that brought me back to life. But today, traffic was a breeze. And at the traffic light, I happened to look over to the car next to mine, and I saw a beautiful three-year-old little girl staring out of the window in her car seat in a daze. I smiled as I thought about how wonderfully simple our lives were back then when we were children. Then she noticed me, and she smiled back, and I looked away to see if the light had changed. And when I looked back, I smiled again and saw her looking at me, and then she started laughing hysterically, only the way a three-year-old could. So I laughed as she laughed, and the light turned green, and I waved goodbye and proceeded home. And as I was driving, I thought to myself, you know, if that would have occurred just yesterday, even after my 90 minutes in traffic, that would have been all I needed to snap me back to life. A three-year-old smile versus my expensive massage bed. Well, the kid wins hands down. On the drive through my neighborhood, I had an epiphany. How many things have I placed in my life to make up for not taking the time to really enjoy all the simple joys life has to offer? Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Many of us have forgotten how to enjoy and appreciate the little things or even the small steps of our accomplishments or the little likes in our relationships or the small things in life that bring us joy in the pursuit of things that would bring us greater happiness. We have become impatient and always looking ahead to the thing that brings us what we perceive to be the source of our happiness. Webster's defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Be careful in life that you do not lose your joy. Research shows that if you do, the loss of good health is not far behind. Take time out to enjoy the little things. Rejoice in reliving life's joys through sharing them often with others and take a moment to relax in your moment of peace through your joy instead of the empty pursuit of pleasure. If you ever lose sight of life's joy, take every step in your power to reclaim it as soon as possible. Your first step to reclaim true joy in life is to just look to God. He's always willing to show his glory to all who are willing to seek. Just take a moment to look and you will find his joy all around you. But if you still need a starting point, just look in the eyes of a child. The younger, the better. There you will find true joy, or in other words, Joy and the Measure of Truth The window of opportunity has opened to establish a significant presence for us on the African continent. A recent trade visit to Ghana resulted in serious discussions about designation of land to build the wall 
of Return and Restoration Center. The amount of land discussed will be more than enough to encourage other developments such as hotels, clinics, restaurants, condominiums, offices, and etc. In preparation for marking our 400-year return celebration to Africa through our Ghana Gateway in the year 2019, there is a tremendous amount of work to do and milestones to complete on the way to this promised destiny. Eric Shepard, President of Diversity Restoration Solutions Incorporated, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Uh, thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. You know, I'm kind of excited. We we did a show before about um, business opportunities in South Africa, and now we're talking about Ghana. So tell us, what, what brought you to Ghana, and what gave you the idea to, to start your venture in this um, this direction? Well, um, just to give you a little background in history, uh, it started about 1996. I started doing genealogy research. I'm uh, originally from Baltimore, Maryland, and um, <clears throat> my research on my father's side uh, took me into Chesapeake, Virginia. And once I got there, because my father never took us there um, in our childhood, so I'm about 40 years old, traveling down to Chesapeake, Virginia for the first time to meet relatives and find out that we come, uh, the family came from a place in North Carolina called Camden County. Went there, <clears throat> and the long story short, discovered the slave narrative that was written about uh, my ancestor that was published in 1842. Um took the clues from that slave narrative, went around the country because he had bought his freedom. Everywhere he went, I went. And I followed uh, that that process uh, to England where the slave narrative was written, uh, but I didn't know where to start uh, in Africa. So I looked at what Alex Haley had done with the, the, the famous book that he had written in the movie Roots, and uh, he was in the Gambia, West Africa, so I followed then Alex Haley into the Gambia, and lo and behold, uh, from 2006 to 2011, I've been going back and forth to the Gambia, and then we, we observed all the opportunities, business opportunities available in Ghana, and that led us to lead a trade mission uh, into Ghana, to expose some of the small businesses and African-American business to business opportunities as well as develop relationships with their counterparts in Africa. Wow. Wow. That's quite a journey. Um, and you traveled to each of the places where you were able to find these records of your ancestor, and then when that ended for you, you proceeded to just find other resources and continue your journey. So how did you go about developing these relationships? You know, when someone leaves their, their country and they're really now a foreigner in another land, how is it that you were able to develop these types of relationships and, and find the information that you needed to be able to um, build upon your organization? Well, um, it's a twofold approach, and our motto at, the, uh, at my company, Diversity Restoration Solutions, is we merge commerce and culture. So I was trained and had business and acquisition management experience with uh, my years with the Department of Defense. And so that was the professional side, the procurement side, the business side. And 
you're you're keen with that no matter where you go and and you go into Africa but then there was the cultural side and actually the cultural side for the first time for me in my life was like I was going home really mm. for the first time and so you still merge the commerce and your culture and it just all comes together so even so tell us a little bit about what you felt. Why do you say it was like going home? What what happened that, that brought about that emotion? Well, everybody, in essence, that was in charge of certain things looked like me. Right. And that's something <laughs> I wasn't used to, uh, you know, uh, most of my life being here in the U.S. So that was a, a welcomed experience. And then there was a certain um, feel that you have, a certain, for me, spiritual feeling that you have, like you belong. Mm. So then you start to merge that with what were you prepared for? What is your profession? What do you do? Is it needed there? And if it's needed there, are there business opportunities for you to make a business case for what you do? So I found that for me, but then I said, lo and behold, there's a whole country called America that most of its businesses and and people that are interested need to know about uh, these type of opportunities and need to know this field and need to have exposure to their culture and their history. And therein lies the, the process and the business opportunity that we make it available to others who want to experience something similar. Right, right. And um, tell us a little bit about um, this new initiative with the wall and uh, the gateway in itself and this project that you're you're sort of spearheading. Okay, well, the Wall of Return and Restoration Center, actually, if you were to look for a business model for it, Um, The only place that I know to look for it really is in the scriptures. All I'm doing is looking at who, in terms of the scriptures, what people have been, as recorded, enslaved for approximately 400 years or held in captivity. And um, it just, after 400 years, they always felt there was something better for them, and they couldn't accomplish it where they were in the land of their captors. And they went, actually, the Israelite story, they went actually back to where they came from. And so that made it fit from a spiritual and a historical perspective to me. And then I look at certain um, experiences in those scriptures, and when the Israelites went into their promised land, they took Joseph's bones back with them. And I just thought, well, we cannot take everybody's bones back, but we can take their names back to remember them and to symbolically return them back to the land that they were taken from. So it becomes a, a genie, still the genealogy project, but also a tremendous tourism industry project that has an economic baseline to it. So it, it just works well. It just fits. Right, right. So... 
the the wall itself explain to people how that is actually um is sort of like a monument and a landmark and and tell us how that actually um works as far as um the names that are on there and the purpose of it um as it works physically well it, it it's a wall and it it will be um it, it will encompass names of our ancestors that were enslaved here or have gone through hardships here. It's a it's a way to have, um, you know, gone into our website and, uh, you know, wanted to if you wanted to have one of your ancestors' names uh, engraved on the wall that we're going to have built over there. But it was our way of showing uh, to the world we had not, as we go into our promised land, we had not forgotten about our ancestors, and so this is a way of to, of returning them, but also taking them with us to this new frontier for business that uh, their efforts and their sacrifices uh, are always with us, and we should take their memory and and honor them for surviving um, those conditions of slavery. And, of course, that let, lets us here survive and to carry on the mission. So um, as we go in looking at these opportunities, we all will, always want to remember where we came from and, and take our ancestors with us into, into this new journey. But um, I found that the wall and the idea of the wall was also uh, instrumental in tourism-type activities in West Africa as well. And so it becomes a monument, it becomes a symbol of reconnecting us to Africa, and it's a good icebreaker, if you will, for us to start to reconcile and restore the relationships with uh, our relatives, really, in Africa. Hmm, wow. And um, I know you have your your wife with us as well, so whose idea was this? Did you start this? And um, if so, what did she say when you gave her this idea of this vision that you had. Well, yeah, I started it, but she's always been supportive of mm-hmm. it. And uh, I, I guess to get a feel for how she felt about it, I, I guess, Lisa, you can possibly answer that for her. Oh, good evening, Michael. How are you? Good, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. You're, you're welcome. I think that when I when he first started it, um, because I was with him at the very start of his genealogy journey, mm-hmm. I just knew it was a natural fit, and I knew that God had given him a vision to be able to bring the wall to fruition and to bring others along with that. So um, I have been very supportive from the outset. the The idea of the wall and the Restoration Center is a a great undertaking, and it has not been easy for us, but we've made it a family effort, including not only Eric and myself, but our children, who are now 11 and 15. They've been there from the beginning. We used to take genealogy vacations, so they would be running around the archive halls with us, and they learned to have an appreciation for history and their culture and their family history especially and to be proud of that when they may not be getting that in their own school settings and being able to encourage their friends to find out about their genealogy as well. Right, right. And it's an important thing to to understand 
and know what your origins are. Um, it just gives you a certain peace. It gives you a direction in life. It connects you back with the very beginning. Um, that's one of the things African Americans lost is the fact that every foreigner that ever comes into this country, they still understand where they came from, and that was taken away from us. We we know Africa, but and and that, I guess that's an important landmark about Ghana as well, because in Accra, this is the place where almost all slave ships left from. So at, at some point, your ancestors would have come from this particular site. So yeah, more than, more than likely, um, we we got some information during the trade visit actually by uh, Rabbi Kohan, who's an African American from Mount Vernon, New York, who uh, has been in Ghana now almost thirty years and owns mm. a rest, uh, owns a restaurant right off of uh, the Cape Coast there, and uh, he told us out of the sixty or so slave dungeons in West Africa along the coast. 40 of them resides in Ghana. So we say it's a high probability that mm-hmm. most of uh, our ancestors that left those shores came from the, the mm-hmm. Ghana ports. Yeah. Now, tell us, um, the powers that be in Ghana, when when they heard about this project, that this huge undertaking, um, what did they think of it? And um, tell us just how you were able to negotiate um this undertaking well um you know this has been uh many years uh, with the idea the concept coming up with uh, uh renderings of not only restoration center but the wall and um basically i put a proposal together and it's been about a year since they've had the proposal well um we've talked about it we've emailed about it over the last year, and when I was there uh, a few weeks ago, um, got an opportunity to go take a look at the land and actually place my feet on the land they are uh, designating as a potential location for what we would like to do. And and so I think what most of us will find in some respects is a lot easier to go over there with an idea and a project in mind and have people at least willing and open to to your idea and concept uh, more so than here. I know what I've been offered there, I could probably not get here in America. Really? Oh, and, yeah, that's um, true. I, I, think, I, I think all of us that are looking for not only opportunities for ourselves, but when you think long-term, when you think generation to generation, you know, I think we ought to seriously consider how do we want to position our businesses, but foremost, how we want to position our families, that they can benefit from what we do today, three and four generations down the road. So we must start to think, in my opinion, from a generation-to-generation level. And right now the opportunities are in Africa. The ground floor opportunities, if you don't have large investment-type capital, you know, Africa is open to us to do business. And actually, um, I would venture to say they're waiting on us. Really? We're not waiting on them. They're ready. 
Mm. Wow, that's really something. So tell us, what does a person, I mean, I'm sure this opportunity is not for everyone, but what would someone have to um, do to prepare themselves and understand whether or not that they can actually take this on? Well, I think um, one of the first steps is to prepare to go there. You must go. Um, mm-hmm. It it sometimes I know there's good business out there for people who never leave their desk and they're doing business all over the world. I think it's high risk when you do that, but uh, it's it's twofold with us. You you must go and you must get a feel for. Uh, the place in which you'd like to do business and who you would like to do business with, that's one thing. But we keep hearing about and seeing, actually, the images, all negative things or mostly negative things associated with Africa. So when mm-hmm. you go there, you're pleasantly surprised, but you did not get a, a uh, balanced view here um, on the in the images that we see here on television and maybe even listen to on some radio station of Africa. You must go see for yourself and, and determine what you think is fair and balanced and also get a, a gauge of the history, uh, even though there's negative situations everywhere, including America, that we must deal with, I think we are fully prepared coming from America to go almost anywhere and, and do well, but specifically in Africa, because I think it will be a welcome uh, surprise that you would get of the opportunities, the friendliness of the people, and the accommodations um, that you will be exposed to there to let you know that you can do things in Africa as well as do anywhere in the world. And um, Tomette Herring is one person that actually did take that trip. And um, Tomette, are you there? Tell us what your findings were. Yes. Hi. Oh, Aquaba. To all. Aquaba. Aquaba. <laughs> <laughs> and what does that mean? It means greetings. And uh, and that's in Ashanti. And so I. Um, it was a journey, Michael. It was an absolute wonderful uh, journey, and I've had. Certainly, that dream in my life for uh, quite a few years now, and so it was seeing a dream recognized, uh, touching ground, and I would say the whole journey on the plane was a cultural experience for me, and I'm sure a lot of the folks that traveled with the, uh, you know, as, as delegates from uh, the U.S. And so amazing stuff happened. I'll, I'll stop there and and inject as you would like me to. <laughs> so, so I, um, you know this I was your, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, this was your first time. Was it your first time in Africa? Absolutely. First time in Africa. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly uh, it, it all happened. It was all divinely arranged, and I'm, I'm excited that, uh, that, I, that I made my first trip with such uh, distinguished folks as the crew that I traveled with, some 14, 15 of us, but but led by people who have a heart for Africa, and that's Eric. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell us, what was your first impression, and what was the thing that maybe you had a preconceived notion about how things would be that was um, you were surprised at how things were in reality much different than you had expected? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think what comes to mind, I have a very short story. I'll make it as short as I can. Um, it was on the trip over. Uh, we ended up, uh, there's a direct flight that leaves out of uh, Dulles in, in route to uh, Accra. And so after 10 hours of being on the plane, I, I brought a ton of candy. So Eric will tell you somewhere in the middle of the night or middle of the day after the time changed, I was walking in the aisle with like $25 worth of licorice, uh, hot tamales. I had gummy bears. I had I had it all. I had candy hearts. Yes, you did. And, <laughs> and I'm walking around, and I'm like, candy, candy. And I, I'd done my research because Eric and, 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 and Lisa really prepared the group for, you know, customs we need to be aware of. And, and one of the things is, uh, you know, Guyanians uh, consider it an offense if you eat in front of them and don't share your food. What I didn't learn is that they don't ever reject your food. So, <laughs> so you know how you offer people here food and they go, no thanks. Well, that won't happen there. So <laughs> if you're offering, just know you bring enough for everybody. But I'm now walking around on this plane and, you know, I'm giving them candy and, and sharing with my folks as well as the other folks that are traveling that way. And, and you know, I sat down after a while, after I was fresh out of at least that, that, that group of candies that I've given out, I sat down, and um, there was a woman that got up that was sitting two seats over across. And there was a woman right next to her, and there was this young man that was sitting in be- between us, and then I'm sitting on the other side. Um, she got up out of her seat on the far end, put her baby in his lap, and they exchanged words in Ga or Tree, um, and those are, uh, or Ashante, those are different dialects. Um, and uh, and she went on back to the bathroom. She had a t- another two-year-old, and she came on back, looked over, exchanged a few pleasantries, got back in her seat, sat down with her two-year-old, and went to sleep. Now, keep in mind, we're we're traveling like ten hours, and mm-hmm. and puts her child in this man's hands, this young man's hands, that it didn't appear she knew him. Because really? there, was no, there was no dialogue before that that would even let you know that they knew each other. And so I'm sitting there thinking, we're all tired. We're all sitting in those uncomfortable chairs. Now this baby, that she, this newborn baby she puts in this man's lap, and every time the baby moves, he just kind of pa- kind of tap it on, on its stomach, and then he's just rocking. This is a baby girl, right? So I'm thinking, what kind of woman leaves her baby girl in the hands of a young man and walks away and then comes back and goes to sleep for hours, Michael, hours. Who does that? So I'm sitting here tripping (laughs) because now I'm thinking, oh, how rude is that, you know? So while I'm going through all of this, I finally, you know, it was probably about an hour to two hours later, she gets, the woman wakes up, her child finally wakes up, who is in the, still the arms of this man who is unknown, and uh, she grabs the baby back. She says, oh, 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 and she grabs the baby and she pats the baby down and, you know, the baby's up now. And I'm thinking, that was wrong. So now we arrive. Finally, it, and we land, touch ground in Accra, and we're greeted by the ambassador there of the diaspora. And um, I told her of this this incident that I thought was just the oddest thing, and she just smiled, and she looked at me, and she said, you thought that was really odd. I said, yeah, that w- I've never seen anything like that. And I'm thinking with my westernized self that, you know, what is wrong with her? What was she thinking? What kind of woman does that? You know, and she says, you know, it's so amazing. She said, and then I said, at some point I realized that nobody in that plane looked like that was odd to them. You know, the Guyanians didn't look like that was an odd practice. But I felt odd because we don't do that here in the U.S., Right. 
And so uh, she says, yeah, you know, it appeared to be really odd. I said, I didn't know why she didn't just hand her baby to the woman that was sitting next to her. Why did she reach over and give it to the man? I, I didn't get that. And so she said, yeah, she said, because you have to understand how we think. And I said, okay. I said, I figured at some point I had to check myself, and maybe I'm just missing something. She said, yeah, you were missing something. She said, you saw what you saw in your eyes was wrong and irresponsible. I said, absolutely. And she said, but actually, what she did was she handed her baby over to the man. The man represents the head, and the head is the right order under God. And so that man, that young man, represented the covering and protection for her child. So it was okay for her to leave. It was okay for her to go to sleep. It was okay two hours later for her to get, come back and retrieve her child because she knew that the custom with they, that they were brought up under says that that, child, that man now is responsible for that child as if it were his own. And they honor hmm. that. And what wow. is virtually right in and what was wrong in your eyes culturally for you was spiritually correct under God. Mm. And I thought, my goodness. I I, I was done after that. <laughs> I was done. I was so done. I you know, I, I was I just realized that I had to, I had to open my mind because I thought I was going to learn a lot more at that point than I ever conceive that I could learn on this journey and I had just I hadn't even gotten there yet. It was just on the journey over. Wow. Wow. And Eric, so tell me something, you know, that that is um a major difference on the way Americans do business and the way Africans do business, sort of the um the pleasantries and um the respect. Um some of these things can sometimes bump heads. So how is it that a person learns to actually um, do business with other Africans? Well, I, I think, um, you know, the way we approach it is just relationship building. Mm-hmm. And for me, it comes natural, I guess, because I was never comfortable with the 22nd elevated speech approach anyway. Oh, okay. Um, what can you learn about somebody in 20 seconds? You got to get your idea out there. Got to be fast. You got to be quick, quick, quick. And it just doesn't move that way in Africa. Well, how is your family? Who is your family? How do you like it here? You know, tell me a little bit about America. They want to get to know you. Right. And um, and that's before they do business. But I understand from some of my colleagues that have tra- that have traveled to China and Japan and some of the other parts of the world. It's the same thing. But we bought into the way things are done here, thinking that this may be the acceptable way around the world, and that's just not true. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we focus on relationship building uh, to do business. The 22nd elevator speech, if, you, if you're if you doing that with someone, you probably want to be very, very careful <laughs> because they're probably trying to hustle you and you're probably trying to hustle them. So I mm. think what you want to do is take it, uh, even though it's a very accepted practice here in some settings, I think mm. you want to take it slow, step by step, get to know the individual. Um, I look at, which is also different than that I've noticed, um, teaming with Africans in business. 
is the best approach for me, and I think for most small businesses from from this country. Uh, why are we going over to Africa to compete? We should be going over there to complement right. what they do. And, uh, you know, you have the Chinese over there, and um, they use up a lot of the resources. Europe has always been there using up a lot of resources. So how have the Africans really benefited? Not mm-hmm. much. A few mm-hmm. here and there. So why, if we don't have much, the average small business owner here in the U.S. don't have much, they don't have much, but coming together, we can solve problems, we can be a value asset to all of Africa, and we both can grow our companies. That's a winning combination, and that's the approach that I would recommend most of us have, and I think you'll, most of us will be accepted over there. So, um, you know, you're going home, and that's what I, I told the delegation, and that's what I say to anybody. It's a difference between going to Africa to do business and going home to do business. Mm-hmm. And we must get that in our mind. It took us 400 years to get back there, but we actually are going back home, and that should not be underestimated. Wow. So looking at it from the Ghanaian perspective, what is it that they need from us? What what type of um businesses or what type of resources can we provide to them by our connection in America? Well, uh, you know, and, and when you say Ghana, I would also, also say uh, the Gambia, Liberia, mm-hmm. uh, Senegal, a lot of those countries, um, they love U.S. products. Here's the question that I have. Well, if they love U.S. products, why don't they have them? And mm-hmm. You know, so why are well? Who? The, where does the fault lie? Does it lie with them because they want our products, or does it lie with us because we haven't gotten them what they wanted? Mm-hmm. And uh, also, it goes both ways. There's a lot of products over there that need to be introduced into the markets over here, mm-hmm. which would economically empower them. So. It's Give us some examples free. of um, some of the things that okay. they want from here as well as some of the things in Ghana that we would possibly um, yeah. appreciate well, I, here. I would say food, food stuff type of items. Uh, the other thing that we found out even during the trade visit, um, attorneys in the oil and gas industry. Well, in Ghana, mm. they just started recently pumping oil there. So you got some U.S. companies over there. You ain't heard about that, have you? Oh, they oh yes, there. I have. Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, not many people even know that Ghana just recently started pumping oil out there. And then we find out that they don't have many oil and gas and energy type attorneys over there. Mm-hmm. They need, um, uh, in the tourism community, just marketing assistance in the mm-hmm. logistics area. When you talk about... Um, Shipping product and freight forwarders and all those relationships needed to move product from here to there and from there to here. Those relationships from one company to another needs to be put in place. Um, it's just a whole host. And, and, and I say from every industry sector, from construction to agriculture, energy, it's all needed there. 
And I think what we need to do is uh, take the opportunity to find out what's needed there and then make your way there to develop the relationships. And it will happen. Mm. That's great. Those are just a few examples. There's multiple examples that that we could run down. You know, and and it's an interesting, interesting thing that you say because a lot of times when we have a new business here in America, we have to sort of either corral an interest or develop an interest or be able to find a way to market an interest and then provide the product for that. But you're saying there, they, they already want products. They have the need, and we just have to figure right. out a way to get the, the products. Right, and, and, and you must be competitive, too, because remember mm-hmm. China is over there, but mm-hmm. – there, there's a thing called quality that's associated with U.S. products. Right. And for the most part, and it's a balancing act, they want a quality product, but not all the time can you afford the quality of product. Mm-hmm. So herein, another opportunity. Some of the products that are um, made here, some of the businesses here should look at teaming with some of the African businesses and manufacturing them on the African continent. It gives them an expanded market. They're teaming with another local business, and so their products are made there, and you can compete with the, the products coming from other parts of the world. You know, we had this thing, we jump on America's bandwagon sometime, and wherever they go, that's where we go. Everybody runs into China. Yeah, China is doing some great things, but China's gone into Africa. So why are we skipping all over Africa to follow folks into China when we should be meeting China in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think we need to re-look at the way we approach, um, for, for most of us, the global business uh, aspect of doing business, especially as it relates to Africa. Um there's a way to make it happen. If if the products may be too expensive here, then maybe we should be looking at an opportunity to, to team and manufacture and produce some things there as well. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, there there are plenty of entrepreneurs here that are often always looking for someone else's complicated method of um, making money, and a, a lot of that energy is wasted on trying to work someone else's system. So, you know, I see this as a great opportunity for real entrepreneurs, someone who really uh, is confident in their own abilities to work hard and to make something happen. And um, it doesn't seem as complicated as a lot of the so-called opportunities that would be op- offered to you here in America and um, this is something I guess you just have to be willing to to venture out on your own, as you said, develop your own relationships and connections, and, and make them work for you. Right, and and then there is um, there is a certain amount of, of uh, mysticism when you talk, say venture out on your own. Just keep in mind you're going back home. Exactly. Keep that in mind. So doors opened up for me there that I know still wouldn't open up for me here. And we have to, that really needs to be ingrained in us. It's, it's a difference. And um, some of them, you, you know, we, we look at the entrepreneurs, we're talking about risk takers. 
I'll be frank with you, Michael. Give it a year or so, a few of us ain't going to have a choice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got some folks calling me from um, North Carolina right now to come down and meet with them because we got a bunch of our skilled labor force in construction and agriculture out of work. No real mm-hmm. solutions, no real answers. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Africa's wide open. But the only thing they know about Africa is corruption, AIDS, and people are living in, you know, uh, 17th century conditions. And that's all they know. So it's mm-hmm. our job to share with them, no, it's not quite that way. And, yes, there are opportunities, and this is what we need to to put in place to make that happen. And so even though America is developing better trade relationships with African countries, um, we have to take the initiative within the African-American community to step up and step forward and move things ahead. And I'm telling you, Michael, and I believe Tom met and Lisa will concur with me when I say this, there is enough for everybody over there. Right. It's enough for everybody. It could turn America's whole economic downturn in the other direction if the relationships had been built the way they should have been some years ago. But I, I believe that all happened for a reason as well. But um, don't lose hope. That's what I would say, don't lose hope. There is a solution. The, the question is, are you willing to go and develop the relationships to solve your problems, knowing that Africa is waiting on you to return. Mm. And so for some folks out there who may have relatives or some people who this could benefit but probably could not make the trip, they ought to think about making that trip for them and then being able to educate them. And you never know. It could be a way for someone to get back on their feet by connecting them with um, a a business and um, a trade um, platform that could help them to to save their family's current economic woes. So this is is very interesting. Um, And it's something that's way outside the box um, for most people's thinking. But um, it, it is... You know, sometimes you really have to look hard for a solution for your situation. And those who have money but are afraid right now because they don't really want to invest or go in the direction of um, new businesses in this current economic climate, that this might be um, a a win-win for you as well. So you really need to open your mind and open your eyes. And really, first of all, you need to see what's really going on. And um, that that is the the primary issue, I believe, with people in Africa is they just don't see it for what it is. Right, but um, it's, to me, it's it's not a stretch uh, for most people because at least once a week they hear they hear about it on any given Sunday or Saturday or Friday, whatever is your uh, religious uh, uh, preference. It's right there. It's right there. I mean, if in America, and we have to understand this, and I know, but I'm, I merge commerce and culture, so I believe we have to understand the fact that 
there was another example of 400 years, some somebody being in the land of their captors and it really not working for them. And they had to seek new beginnings. What makes us think we're any different? We're not. Right, right. And so and you get it every week, but are you applying it in that way? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you'll miss out on, to me, you'll miss out on your blessing, especially those of us who, who've lost jobs, who've lost contracts, don't know how we're going to take care of our children from week to week, let alone from year to year. And Africa is waiting on you to bring your knowledge back there to help them develop and grow. And it's open, they're waiting on you, and you're apprehensive. Well, yes, I, I think this this is why it needs to be widespread. You must employ a process that allows pe- that allow people to be able to afford to get to Africa, have people like myself and Lisa and Tomet, everybody that went with us, I feel comfortable, can take their own family members back. Mm-hmm. And expose them to what they they were they witnessed a few weeks ago, and that's how it gets started. Right, um, right. And Tom, Ed, you had a comment. Go ahead and chime in. Uh, ah, yeah. oh, uh, how do we say "may that say pa"? And right. that means thank you very much. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of uh, things I just wanted to say, you know, that uh, you know Eric was bringing up. You know, we we talked earlier when I was sharing the story about being on the plane coming over, and uh, you know me walking around and sharing my candy. What I didn't realize. And, and that came to my understanding after I had spent a couple of days in uh, Accra was that they don't have any candy. They, The people on the flight were looking at the candy I was giving to them because I thought, they, you know, they were just being, you know, cordial because that's the culture. They're going to say yes. But here's the deal. A couple of them didn't, never saw licorice. They didn't wow. know what gummy bears were. And they were eating them for the first time in their life. Wow. Now, how amazing is that? Mm. So, gosh, I mean. They liked it. Wow. <laughs> There's no candy <laughs> here. So, I mean, you know. So what you say, Tom, is not all rocket science. And that's what hey, we're saying. It's simple. The opportunity simple. is that vast. Right. Wow. And then, and then you, on, on the other side, um, you, you've heard of different manufacturers here of candy products um, like Nestle's and Hershey's and make all those chocolate products. Yes. Where does the chocolate come from? The cocoa beans come right there from Africa. Right. If you go over there, you'll see Nestle's, Hershey's, all of them located, got offices over there. There's also another company over there, Ghanaian-owned, a, a chocolate manufacturer of candy. We got their product. We have it here now, and Lisa took some of it with her and shared it with some of her friends, and they love it, and they want to order it because their chocolate tastes a little different because I don't know what it is in the process, but it tastes a little different. But to get that product over here in America to expose it is a great marketing and business opportunity for someone. It doesn't mm. require rocket science. Mm-hmm. That's right. Some of wow. these things are going to be a lot easier to to accomplish than than what we really think, because 
entrepreneurship and business for some of us have been so difficult. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, one of the things, Michael, I just want to make sure before, you know, as we are looking at the, I'm watching my watch here, and I want to make sure that Eric uh, makes clear what the diaspora is and, you know, who that is. And because I did, I really didn't understand that until I got there, um, and tie that to you know uh, Sankofa, and I'm happy to connect what Sankofa means after Eric explains the diaspora, so that uh, you know what, why the diaspora, why why do we need to go back? Okay, we're eight minutes. Go ahead, Eric. Well, um, well, I, I think just the diaspora is, um, you know, Africans have been taken from the continent either by force or they've immigrated to somewhere else. And so they look at all that, all of the Africans all over the world are part of the African diaspora and they should return back at some point. And um, because we don't have in America and other places where our ancestors were taken by the force, don't have the connection on the African continent does not mean we are not part of that group. And so it's important that we go back and claim our inheritance at the same time. And you'll see other ethnic groups, they have no problem reconnecting or connecting with where their heritage comes from, and nor should we. And I know that's a process, and I know it's going to take a while for some of us. But if we want the better situations for our families over generations, we need to start in our generation putting something in place that uh, will work for us. So, um, like as I stated before, we're going home, and whether it's to do business, whether it's on a cultural trip, or whether it's just to go and go on a tour, um, know that uh, we're welcomed back there and it's time for us to return. Madassi, Madassi, and and they do treat you as if, and they tell you, you are home now, and they make you feel that way. One of the things I wanted to just bring to folks' attention, I I always like to pull in a movie here and there because I'm a movie buff, but there, back in 1993, uh, there was a movie that uh, was uh, directed by a a, a gentleman out of Howard University. His name was Haile Jarima. Um, I actually attended his opening for that. The name of the movie was called Sankofa. So if you Google it online, pull it up, take a look at it, and if you can get your hands on it, try to see that because the meaning of Sankofa means uh, it is a proverb, and it is it means it is not wrong to go back for which you have forgotten. And so, you know, when I was in the marketplace, one of the things this woman shoved in my hand, she said, you take it back. I told her I wanted to pay for it. She said, no, I want you to take this back. And I said, what does this symbol mean? She said, it's Sankofa. It means that I want you to come back. And a part of you, when you go back home, I want you to take this part of you back with you, you know, with the intent that you're coming back. 
Okay, so I I ended up getting more gifts than I actually bought because that's the heart of the people. And so, you know, Sankofa, we want to go, we want to certainly go home and we want, you know, we want to take all the knowledge that we've learned here and be able to empower once again Africa and feed Mother Africa. And that's truly what it is about. It's about family, it's about love, it's about the culture, it's about the people. Well, Well, that's just great. And um, well, you know, I'm excited to to hear back from you again, Eric, to find out how things are um, transitioning as we move forward, um, and uh, the progress that you're making, and also any help that you may need to continue to educate and to to get the word out of, of this, um, you know, tremendous um, work that you're trying to do here in Ghana. But um, 2019 is um, Far off, but you know it will be on us in no time at all. So um, there's oh, yeah. quite a bit to be well, done. And, yeah, there's um, quite I, a bit to be done, and we have to, um, you know, we have to generate revenue. Um, and one of the ways to do that is through our Exodus Card program. It'll give you a a, a card that sort of identifies you as one of the people that's supporting what we're doing. And then uh, we want, at, at certain points in time, when we have Restoration Center built and other developments there, when you come over, you have your card and you're welcomed in and you're getting discounts. So these are futuristic things. But just like any nation that they pick to have the Olympic Games in, they're four to eight years out preparing to receive all the people that are coming in for those Olympic Games. Our 400 year return to Africa with all the celebrations is due that same kind of focus and um, uh, attention and Mm -hmm. planning Mm -hmm. and preparation. And those eight years uh, will come a lot faster than we think, but a lot of work has to be done. And so we must be willing to support it financially. We must be willing to support it uh, mentally, physically, and spiritually. So uh, we will keep you informed of the progress, um, but now it's time, I believe, in our generation, you either, you're either with this or you're not because the preaching time is over. You're either coming up or you're not because right. we're going in. We're going back home. We know the opportunities are there, and we don't mind Helping to open up doors, but we need to be supported as well. So, um, so we will definitely keep you informed, Michael. All right, and thank you, Eric, and um, also to your wife, Lisa. Thank you, and Thomas. Thank you for coming on board again and sharing your experiences with us. And uh, we're just coming to the close of another show, and um, we hope to hear from you all again in the near future. And um, I just want to thank our producer, Donna Hardiman, for putting this all together. And I'm Michael Fordham, and you have been listening to another episode of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They 
become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.